The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Aaronsmeany, and this is The Anxious Achiever, the show that looks at the intersection of mental health and work, and how we can all do both better. We glamorize entrepreneurship in the media, universities, and in many cultures. Today's guest has written a famous paper about entrepreneurship, though, and he includes this thought, which I'll summarize as, Entrepreneurs as a whole make less money, face more work-life conflict, and endure a lot more failure and uncertainty than the more traditionally employed. He's also written, it's possible to question the decision-making capabilities of entrepreneurs for choosing this kind of life. And yet millions of us do. Dr. Michael Freeman studies how mental health challenges and neurodivergence uniquely manifest in many small business owners and asks why. Freeman is a psychiatrist and professor at UCSF. He's deeply motivated by his mission to improve the mental health of entrepreneurs, some of which he understands firsthand as an entrepreneur himself and a fourth-generation one at that. And in addition to studying the mental health of entrepreneurs and their propensities for certain issues, Freeman is the founder of Econa, a center for mental wellness for entrepreneurs. We started the conversation by talking about the true challenges this group of people faces and how they might function differently, for better or for worse. You're famous for co-authoring a study, I think the first and maybe only study about entrepreneurs and their mental health. Can you just give us the executive summary? Do entrepreneurs have more mental health challenges than the general population? Executive summary is maybe a little bit, but not in a dramatic way, but they have different mental health challenges. Mm. And the different mental health challenges are tilted more in the direction of mental health issues that are associated with dopamine processing. So elevated levels of bipolar spectrum conditions, elevated levels of ADHD, elevated levels of sort of passion, a.k.a. obsession with work. And related to that, we think of personality as a dimension of mental health, too. And entrepreneurs have a personality profile, which is significantly different from the personality profile of managers and job holders. I guess the other part of the executive summary is that entrepreneurs come from families where there are elevated levels of mental health conditions. So we found that entrepreneurs, that about 40% of entrepreneurs have a life history of a diagnosable mental health condition, one or more, and 60% don't. But we found that among the asymptomatic entrepreneurs, the 60% of entrepreneurs that don't really have mental health issues, their family members have twice as much of a mental health burden as the immediate family members of managers, uh, is what we studied, managers and job holders. Interesting. Can we just circle back personality? How do you define the personality traits? 
personality traits refers to the likelihood that you're going to respond to the same situation in the same way. So, you know, if the entrepreneur and the bookkeeper are driving down the road and there's a yellow light, the entrepreneur is going to drive through and the bookkeeper is going to hit the brakes. That's a personality trait. Mm. Risk propensity versus risk aversion, sense of urgency versus not having a sense of urgency. Opportunity recognition versus threat recognition. Those are personality traits. And there are five major structural personality traits that are 50% genetically transmitted. Extroversion, conscientiousness, openness to experience, neuroticism, and agreeableness. And the acronym for that is ECONA, and that's why the project I'm working on is called ECONA. (laughs) And that entrepreneurs have been found to have a very specific footprint or pattern of those personality traits that gives them the superpowers you need to start and grow a business. Where does neuroticism fit on that? They tend to have low levels of neuroticism. Neuroticism is associated with anxiety and depression and uh, risk aversion. Mm -hmm. So that's not great if you're going to be an entrepreneur. Interesting. And higher levels of extroversion. And higher levels of extroversion and higher levels of openness to experience, which is associated with higher levels of intellect, tend to be pretty smart cookies, not necessarily good grades. They're the B students that hire the A students, but they're smart. Right. And um, then higher levels of industriousness and achievement orientation. I want to clarify, Dr. Freeman, when we talk about entrepreneurs, we're not just talking about Silicon Valley tech geniuses, right? We are not. Those are an exceptional group of people who are venture-backed. But entrepreneur in the research literature refers to people who are self-employed with or without employees. And that's important because there are some reasons why some people get venture-backing and other people don't. Or there are reasons why some people get loans and other people don't. Hmm. For example, if you're a woman (sighs) in most countries, a bank may not want to lend money to you for the same business plan that is brought in by a man. Right. And there are a lot of other issues as well of that nature. You know, who gets into Stanford GSB and what the pipeline, how the pipeline works and so on. Right. So entrepreneurs refers to self-employed with or without employees. Let's dive into the idea of being, quote, touched by fire. What do you mean by that? Touched by fire is the title of a book by K. Redfield Jameson about bipolar disorder among poets. (laughs) And she herself is bipolar. She's a psychologist and a famous, one of the pioneers in doing research on bipolar Mm -hmm. spectrum conditions. And her research focused on the relationship between creativity and the bipolar spectrum. When I was first discovering mental health differences among entrepreneurs, what I immediately noticed was the prevalence of hypomania, low-grade mania (laughs) among founders. And I also, of course, was aware of the tremendous creativity that entrepreneurs bring to their work. 
So I wondered if it was the same phenomenon, and that's where the touched with fire concept came from. In our research, we did discover that entrepreneurs are much more likely to have bipolar spectrum conditions than is true in the general population. However, it turns out to be more complex. There are other mental health conditions that are also common among entrepreneurs. Like what? ADHD is Mm -hmm. a big example. Mm-hmm. And another one would be something related to obsessive compulsive personality, you know, the kind of the driven compulsive industriousness <laughs> that some people have. I hear a little bit of laughter going on. Well, I have a book, Am I you know, touching this, a nerve here. Well, this is all of, I mean, I have bipolar too. So, you know, this is definitely me, but, you know, the anxious achiever sort of taps into that a little bit. Yes, it all has to do with dopamine. (laughs) And dopamine levels are elevated. Well, let's just, that's, that's a little too simplistic. I think it's more accurate to say that entrepreneurs tend to have atypical dopamine processing compared to other people. And it's variations related to dopamine processing that are associated not only with bipolar spectrum conditions, ADHD, and industriousness, compulsiveness, Mm -hmm. but also the personality characteristics of entrepreneurs. Because personality is the other side of mental health. It's easy to talk about anxiety and depression and things like that, but Mm -hmm. it's the personality of the entrepreneur that is really shaping what happens on a day-to-day basis. And those personality traits are also dopaminergic, if you will, including openness to experience and intellect and extroversion and enthusiasm and industriousness. These are some of the traits that differentiate founders from managers, for example, or job holders. First of all, I want to dive a little bit more into the dopamine. Obviously, this is not a show for, for medical professionals, but... Is it that we need more dopamine? We get it in different ways? Our receptors are different? Like, what what are we seeking in all of that? Unfortunately, if you ask my research colleagues, the answer is very boring. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) What you're seeking is rewards. (laughs) It's like the mice. They are looking for cheese. Yeah. It's just that you are seeking more rewards more of the time. And... The dopamine as a neuromodulator and a neurotransmitter regulates reward-seeking behavior. It's goal-focused behavior. Yeah. And you're trying to determine if there's a reward out there and if it turns out that there is, is it possible to get there from here? In the world of ADHD, which is attention, it's called attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. I don't like the use of the word disorder. I think that overly medicalizes these Mm. differences, Mm -hmm. but there definitely are differences in how people attend to the world around them. And the more highly stimulating the environment is, the more able people in that spectrum of differences are able to focus and dial in. Right. Which is why people with ADHD tend to be first responders, you know, firefighters, ambulance, EMT, emergency medical technicians. Those are highly, highly charged kinds of 
professions. And when regular people are in front of a fire, they get overwhelmed and right. they can't function that effectively. But people, you know, of this nature can dial in and become hyper focused and be very effective. Entrepreneurship is like that. Entrepreneurship is chaotic and intense. And people with this different kind of mind are particularly capable of doing well in that environment as opposed to other people who end up becoming managers and job holders. So I, I call entrepreneurs our economic first responders, <laughs> and they really are. That when there is a recession, when there's a depression, when there's an economic shock, the entrepreneurs are the first ones to jump in and start rebuilding the economy by starting new businesses and creating new jobs. I'm curious. You know, it's funny because my experience of entrepreneurs is that it's really hard for us to have a normal day. A lot of us, it's the sense of the goal post has to always be moving forward. And I think with social media, the dopamine hits also become much more alluring and frequent because we love when we get featured on social media. We love when we're on podcasts. You know, we love accolades. And I'm curious if there's something in that sort of always seeking the next that is related to our need to satisfy our, our dopamine receptors. There definitely is. And this is where a certain, a special kind of therapy for entrepreneurs comes in because those rewards can become addictive. Yes. The, you know, the definition of addiction in my mind anyway, is it's anything where you need more and more and more and more to get the same effect. That can be drugs, that can be alcohol, it can be video games, and it can be entrepreneuring. And in fact, there is an emerging literature about entrepreneurship addiction, and there's even a diagnostic test for it. Hmm. So in terms of entrepreneur therapy, this is where your mind has to get a little bit of leverage over your brain. Your brain will be on a stimulus-seeking pathway yeah. all the time. And you need to know that because it's going to crowd out things like sleep mm -hmm. or time for exercise or outdoor exposure to the natural world or time for friends and family. And like with any other addiction, it's not easy to stop. You have to find a way to override it and make space for the other dimensions of life that you actually need in order to be resilient. If you don't do that, then you're more likely to burn out. Can we talk a little bit about the obsessive, compulsive, very task-oriented, goal-oriented personality that you pulled out? Maybe define that a little bit for the audience and, and how it might show up in an entrepreneur. I think the defining characteristic is achievement orientation, like high need for achievement. Hmm. And how it shows up is along the lines of never good enough, a real motivation to complete tasks and to finish what you start, and high standards of quality. 
and perfectionism yeah kind of going in the direction of perfectionism it's not the same as obsessive compulsive disorder yeah obsessive compulsive disorder is a different mental health condition that's associated with double checking and hoarding and cleaning and mm -hmm. perfectionism can be part of OCD as well. So this, it's not that it's more related to obsessive compulsive personality, uh -huh. but it does involve high levels of motivation to achieve associated with task completion and high standards of quality. And it, and also if you're like that, it can be difficult to delegate. Huh. That's the, huh kind of the downside because of your conviction that nobody else will do as good a job as you, which is often true. However, you can't grow a business without having a team to hand things off to. No, no. I mean, I think what's underlying what you're saying for many of these different lenses into entrepreneurs with mental health differences, whether you have ADHD, whether you're riding your hypomania, whether your compulsion to achieve is getting you to start, is that you can't scale, you can't get where you really want to be with just this behavior alone. Uh, more true for some people than for others. Huh. I think that the compulsive traits mm -hmm. that I just described interfere with scaling. Mm. There's a difference between being a craftsperson and a, a industrialist, if you will. <laughs> Yes. So yes. the people who are less compulsive and less perfectionistic are more likely to scale. It's it's easier for them to scale. Yeah. In fact, I, I as you know, two days a week I maintain a private practice of some kind. It includes psychiatric care, psychotherapy, and executive coaching. Hmm. And I've been really fortunate. I just happen to live in the Silicon Valley. And so many of the people I've worked with are these amazing entrepreneurs who have made Northern California what it is. Mm -hmm. And I spoke with one of them this week, who is a founder that has a little bit of ADHD and a little bit of obsessive compulsive personality. And he has designed a business where he doesn't have a job. In particular, somebody else is a CEO, somebody else is a COO, and all of those people have the package of skills and traits that you need to build things. And he's, his, his main role is to influence everybody. And I thought that was a very clever solution. I have to tell you that one of the joys of my show is that I have lots of people on who are neurodivergent or who have mental illness, and they provide the hacks that they've figured out. I had a, a wonderful conversation with an entrepreneur who's on the autism spectrum last week, and he said, you know, my autism allows me to look at a problem, give it a framework, and almost instantly see a path forward. He said, but I only work 10 hours a week. I don't travel. I can't really do more than one Zoom call a day. And I'm terrible at managing people, basically. And he had, through actually a lot of failures and trial and error, created this life for himself. I think that you don't have to be a rich entrepreneur to do some of this work if you know that your brain just is not suited for showing up 
in corporate America and doing what is expected. I mean, w- would you push back on that point? Is that too pretty a picture that I'm painting? I think it's an accurate way of representing it in that we need people who are in charge of designing our economy to adjust for that and create an inclusive economy that has room for people with different kinds of minds. But it doesn't mean you can't be a rich entrepreneur. It's also true (laughs) that Elon Musk went on Saturday Night Live last year, I think, to talk about being autistic. You know, the whole, he was the host and the whole show was about how he manages his own version of autism. And like this guest on your podcast, he also has that autistic ability to see, he calls it first principles, basically kind of see the core structural dimensions of things that everybody else somehow doesn't notice. That's how he invented SpaceX. He was trying to figure out like, why is it that space travel is so expensive? And he realized that we reuse airplanes. Why can't we reuse rocket ships? Right. That's like a no-brainer, except for all of these really bright people with really big brains didn't figure it out, and he did because of his way of thinking. I would argue, though, that with Elon, I live with someone with autism, so I, I've spent a lot of time on this. Like, he's not well-managed because he's become destructive to himself and possibly to the world, and he's notoriously the worst person to work for. So there is that side as well where... The genius, and I say this, you know, it's funny, I was just reflecting that I feel left out of a lot of these conversations as a woman, as someone, you know, who would never fit in with entrepreneurs typically, but who is a neurodivergent entrepreneur who fits a lot of these categories. Like, there is something about it that I think feels very male, very techy, and a little bit like, oh, well, I'm not sure I'd want to spend time with that person. Well, we talked before about how entrepreneurship is romanticized. Yes. And what you just touched upon is a very dark side of entrepreneurship. And I think that is another piece of the conversation that has been overlooked a little bit, but really deserves our attention. There have been a couple of researchers that look at the life history of entrepreneurs as children and adolescents Mm. before they become entrepreneurs. And what they discover is that entrepreneurs have a significantly higher level of criminal justice encounters during adolescence than other people. So they were disruptive, and, they, and the rules didn't apply to them back when they were teenagers, except that when they were teenagers, they were sanctioned for it by the criminal justice system, whereas when they're you know, young adults, they're rewarded for it because being disruptive is good if you're an entrepreneur. They're funded. <laughs> they get funded, yeah. But you can be an entrepreneur. I remember when I was in high school, one of my, my, my friends was a girl who was always depressed. And I found out the reason she was always depressed was because her father was an entrepreneur and his company made napalm, which they were (gasps) using in the Vietnam War. Oh, God. Yeah. So just because you're an entrepreneur doesn't mean you're going to be pursuing positive social aims. And 
you know, let's just see what happens next with artificial intelligence. So I think whatever it is behind entrepreneurship, this touched with fire thing, does not have a particular valence. It's not like all entrepreneurs have positive social values. Right, right. And so I think this is where I agree with what the tech leaders are saying right now, that there's a role for government to regulate entrepreneurship writ large, not just AI, but entrepreneurship writ large, so that it benefits society rather than undermines society. You know, some entrepreneur invented techniques for Japanese fishing boats to capture schools of fish and wipe out fish populations. Right. Other entrepreneurs invented machines that chop down the rainforest in the Amazon. Right. So it, this is not necessarily all good. It's just a different way of solving problems, the consequences of which may not necessarily accrue to the entrepreneur, at least immediately. I want to talk a little bit about anxiety. What is your experience and what does the research show us about how entrepreneurs either experience anxiety or if they have different levels of anxiety disorders than the general population? The research is a little bit inconclusive. Our our research shows that it's about the same, hmm. but other research shows that it's less. Hmm. Either way, a lot of entrepreneurs have a lot of anxiety. So whether it's equal to or less than, there's still a lot of entrepreneurs with a lot of anxiety. And I wanted to share this example of one entrepreneur I work with who has a tremendous amount of anxiety, and it's been so helpful to her in her career. This is a woman who has panic attacks and social anxiety and public speaking anxiety and all kinds of things to the point where when I meet with her, it has to be by phone because we can't meet on Zoom because that way I would be looking at her. And just the idea that somebody's looking at her is so stimulating that it interferes with her being able to relax and talk about what she needs to talk about. Wow. Over the course of like three or four years that I was working with her, she got mad at her boss, bought out his business from him for $500,000, which was equal to the revenue of the company at that time. <laughs> grew the whole thing and sold it like three or four years later for $27 million. Oh my God. I know. And a lot of it was that she was so anxious that she just didn't want to make any mistakes. Along the way, she was growing so quickly that she needed some place to put her employees. And so she decided maybe I should buy a building. And she found a building in her community that would be suitable, but it was right next to a gas station. And so if she were to buy the building, she would be taking a risk that it would be on top of toxic soil. Oh. So she decided not to buy the building, too big of a risk. Uh -huh. Three months later, the agent came back and said, we're going to lower the price because of this problem. Now will you buy the building? And she said, no. Another three months <laughs> go by and the guy comes back again. Okay, we're lowering the price again. Finally, they were basically just going to give the building away. So she she bought it. And then she tested the soil samples. And it turned out that there was like no problem with the soil samples. Oh my God. So her anxiety and fear of buying a defective property made her walk away from these deals so many times that at the end of the day, she got the best real estate deal in town. 
So what's the moral of that story? Because she's she's being rigid. She's being perfectionistic. She's being cautious. She's being cautious. She's being cautious. But you've also said she has social anxiety. She doesn't want to look at you. So tell me, because a lot of people would say she's got to work on her anxiety. Like, that must be really difficult. Well, she did work on her anxiety. I, I definitely helped her a lot with that. And I helped her get on medications. Yeah. So she's now taking anxiolytic medication, which has made a huge difference. Yeah. But she really, her anxiety was a piece of who she was and gave her great success in a way, too. Yes. But she also had that personality where she didn't want to work for idiots. And she got <laughs> she got so fed up with her boss that she decided, I can do this better than him. And she bought him out. And then she was right. So she had high levels of motivation. But her, her business was in healthcare. And healthcare is very, very complicated. And because of her perfectionism and her attention to detail, that was part of why she was able to succeed in a competitive field. What I love about this also is that what made her anxious was the potential of bad soil. What didn't make her anxious was taking a huge risk and buying her boss's company. I think that's really interesting about entrepreneurs is that things that would make other people absolutely not be able to sleep at night are no big deal for some entrepreneurs. Very good point. That is called risk propensity versus risk aversion. Mm -hmm. And entrepreneurs have elevated levels of risk propensity. They like risk. And job holders and managers have elevated levels of risk aversion. Risk aversion is highly, highly prevalent in the human population for very good reason. But it's the risk takers who are kind of colorblind when it comes to risk that are able to start and grow businesses. At the same time, let's remember that most of these businesses fail, so maybe they weren't taking such a great risk. Right. Having elevated risk propensity is not necessarily a good thing. But on the other, other hand, the people who really succeed as entrepreneurs are able to do that because they do have an appetite for risk. It doesn't bother them so much. Right. And that's different than saying this entrepreneur didn't have anxiety because she did have anxiety. She had anxiety and she did take risk, but she took calculated risks. Yeah. She knew how her business worked very well. She knew what market they were selling into. She knew how bad all the competition was. So in her mind, it wasn't a risk. In her mind, it wasn't a risk. I think that's key. Mm -hmm. I'm actually part of a, a bipolar group and there's a lot of entrepreneurs in it some very successful, some less so. And we really talk about riding the hypomania. What is your experience and what does the data find about people who have bipolar one or two disorder and are entrepreneurs? The answer to your question is that bipolar spectrum entrepreneurs get better business results and worse business results. <laughs> more likely to wipe out in a very big way, more likely to hit home runs mm. is what we found. Mm. In fact, in our study, we looked at whether or not entrepreneurship education makes a difference. We looked at accelerators, incubators, MBA programs, 
coaches, consultants, conferences. And what we found was that entrepreneurs who had any kind of entrepreneur education were no more successful than entrepreneurs who had no entrepreneur education at all. It made, really? it made zero difference. Yeah. The only thing, or at least the main thing that predictably, consistently, reliably made a difference was being in the bipolar spectrum. That riding this hypomania, there's something to it. Mm. It involves high levels of motivation, high levels of creativity, improved communication skills, being more charismatic, being visionary, being persuasive, huh. and the intense amounts of energy that you need to get from zero to one. And it turns out, if properly channeled, all of those things make a difference for entrepreneurs. What happens when you crash? You get hospitalized. We found that 1.7% of entrepreneurs have a history of psychiatric hospitalization. Mm. We found that 3% have a history of making suicide attempts. Or maybe it's not that bad and you get depressed, but when you get depressed, you're just not able to run your business. So it's something that needs to be managed very carefully. Yeah. But fortunately, we're in a place in the world of bipolar disorder that it, by and large, can be managed pretty effectively for most people. Yeah. So that's a good thing. I, I, the end of my story is it's real, take it seriously, learn what the strengths and superpowers are, deploy those, and learn what the vulnerabilities and risks are and manage those. And you can have a good life and a good business. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tomer Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid, and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves, and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. and so. We had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. For entrepreneurs who are listening to this and or anyone and feels like, oh my gosh, you know, I need a different kind of therapy. The dopamine thing is 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 emerging for me and it's just throbbing in my brain and they can't all access you and they can't all fly out to Marin and I'm sure you're very busy. How do we think about starting to get treated? 
I wish I had a better answer for you. That's part of why I created this Econa project, mm -hmm. to see if we could create some scalable mental health resources, evidence-based mm -hmm. scalable mental health resources for entrepreneurs. I'm trying to do that. That's the idea behind this you know, self-care program for entrepreneurs in the bipolar spectrum. Once we get that done, that's going to be scalable. I have not been able to mobilize a lot of support for doing this. So let me throw that one back in your court. The answer is it can be done. There are some people here and there who have put a lot of thought into it and know how to do it, but it requires investment and if you have any thoughts about where that can come from, <laughs> that would be great. That's really interesting. Well, I mean, look, all of mental health requires investment in this country. I mean, uh, it's kind of a shambles in, in many ways. So, Yes, that's true, unfortunately. Do you have your own mental health story that drives you in this work? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't have a great mental health story from the point of view of what you're looking for. I think... I tend to run a little hypomanic mm -hmm. and I tend to be one of those kind of high achiever oriented people who likes to get things finished. So a little bit like you in that department. And really that's about it. I, it's more uh, a matter, I think, of wanting to make a difference and, and high level of curiosity about this. Mm. But we also found in our study that about 40% of entrepreneurs have a diagnosable mental health condition. That means that 60% don't. Right, right. So what about those guys? We looked at their families, and what we found was that a lot of people have family members with mental health issues. But among the entrepreneurs, they were twice as likely to have family members with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And I can say this, that does apply to my family. There are a lot of people in my family across the generations that do have significant mental health issues. So I think I'm the lucky one or I'm one of the lucky ones where you get the positive traits without some of the negative disabilities. Mm. And that's kind of how we think about entrepreneurs at a higher level, that many of the entrepreneurs are the ambassadors of the positive traits associated with mental health differences without being too encumbered by some of the more disabling conditions. And going back to destigmatization, what really matters is the not the entrepreneur or not the severely mentally ill person who is in and out of hospitals and group homes and so on. What matters is the underlying gene pool. This gene pool is here for a reason. And that if we can destigmatize mental health differences and look at it in a way where that's what gives us art. That's what gives us creativity. That's what gives us entrepreneurship. That's what drives our economy. And it also leads to a lot of disability among other people who are often in the same family. Then we can start thinking about, you know, our responsibility to provide solutions for everybody in that gene pool because that gene pool needs to be here generation after generation.
The entrepreneurs that we talk about are the lucky ones in many ways. Yeah. And even, you know, they would say the ones like the, who wipe out and get go bankrupt, they'd say, you know, somebody else should be so lucky. <laughs> it's not always great. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. Okay, my last question. If someone's listening and they're like, man, I'm just like a garden variety, mentally ill person. Like I have a job that I don't really love, but I have ADHD or I am on the, like, I don't want people to feel bad about themselves. Like there is a little bit of FOMO that I see happening. Like you hang on on Reddit enough in these communities and it's like a little bit like rah, rah, bros, like let's go like ride our hypomania. I feel that that's dangerous too. What would you say to someone who's listening and feeling like, wait a minute, I have this profile, but I'm not an entrepreneur. I would say that there are plenty of other places besides entrepreneurship where you can have a very rich and rewarding life and make a significant contribution. Yeah. And pretty much anything having to do with creativity, things having to do with excitement, things having to do with pursuing ambitious goals, you know, having to do with the outdoor natural environment can be a good fit. Overall, I I think we need to untangle the whole self-esteem problem, which is part of the stigma problem. Yeah. I think of it as being left-handed in a right-handed world. <laughs> there there's nothing to be ashamed about if you're left-handed. It's just that you need to understand the ways in which you're different and find ways of making it work for you and figure out hacks and workarounds and strategies so that it doesn't work against you. Apparently, if you are a baseball enthusiast, you know that left-handed pitchers have, a, have an edge. Right. And, <laughs> and so this, this, I think, anybody with a mental health issue, I would say, you know, you're here for a reason. These traits have been conserved by evolution. There's something good about them, otherwise they wouldn't be here. And that your mission is to identify what the strengths are, identify what the superpowers are, learn how to build a life in which you can play those cards as much as possible, mm -hmm. and then be real about the limitations and risks and vulnerabilities and take responsibility for managing those. A hundred percent. Dr. Michael Freeman, thank you so much. Hey, my pleasure. That's it for today. Our show is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to the LinkedIn Presents family and to all our guests for sharing their stories. If you love the show, tell your friends. I would love you to leave a review because they really matter in helping the show get found. You could also follow us or subscribe. If you have a question for me or you want to submit an idea for the show, find me on LinkedIn, where you can follow me, message me, I promise I'll write back, or subscribe to my newsletter for more from the anxious achiever world. Thanks for listening.